All right, let's turn to Psalm 40. So often some of these psalms are very similar, and so I, before I even kind of dig into it each week, I'm kind of going like, what, what am I going to find this time? Is it going to be different than last time? I know like 38 and 39 were very similar in some ways, and, but it seems like every time I read one and, and kind of read through it multiple times, study through it, there are different things that jump out, um, and I think that's helpful to us um, as we want to see what, what God says to us through his word, and so let's... Um, Let me pray real quick, and then we'll read it. Our Father, we we thank you for bringing us here tonight. Um, Father, thank you for the the protection, the safety you give us, the health you've given us. Um, We thank you for all the many blessings of this life that we take for granted every single day. Father, um, I know even tonight there are some with heavy hearts and and burdens tonight, and so we want to give those burdens to you and ask you to just give us comfort uh, during these difficult times, and and Father, right now we ask you to give us just focus for a few minutes as we study your word. I pray that we would be challenged, and that we would be inspired, and that we would draw closer to you through this study. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So in Psalm 40, the first thing I kind of noticed as I read through it and, and kind of charted it was two main sections, and uh, I want to give it to you like this. The first section is verses 1 through 10. And in those verses, he is praising God for deliverance. God has delivered him from something, and he's giving God praise. And then from verse 11 through verse 17, he is crying out to God for another a need he has. There's some need in his life, some crisis, some situation. And now that he's praised God for deliverance in the first 10 verses, he comes back and he cries out to God to help him in the next verse. And so what jumps out to me about that before we even really read the whole thing, is it's a pattern of prayer, a pattern for prayer, a prayerful pattern. And are you like me? Sometimes you jump in to pray and you immediately start asking God for the things you want. You bring a list to God. God, here's my list. Do this, this, and this. Well, that's not what David does here. His pattern is to, first of all, praise God for what God's already done. I think that's a beautiful pattern for us to follow in prayer, to spend the first moments of our prayer thanking him and praising him, or as I've said here, praise him before you begin to petition him. Praise him before you begin to petition him. I hope we can all think back to things in our lives that we can give God praise for, and that when we pray, we give him praise before we just dive into our list of needs and wants. Well, let's read it, and you kind of listen for that as I read through. Listen for um, those first 10 verses to be him praising And then those last few verses to be for him, asking God to help him again. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done and thy thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, Mine ears hast thou opened, 
Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me. I delight to do thy will, O my God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refrained my lips, O Lord, thou knowest. I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. I have declared thy faithfulness and thy salvation. I have not concealed thy loving kindness and thy truth from the great congregation. Withhold, so here's the transition, withhold not thou thy tender mercies from me, O Lord, thy loving kindness, let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have compassed me about, mine iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of mine head, therefore my heart faileth me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded together that seek after my soul to destroy it. Let them be driven backward and put to shame that wish me evil. Let them be desolate for a reward of their shame that say unto me, Aha, aha. Let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tearing, O my God. I'm going to go through some of these verses and give you just a few thoughts uh, just as we kind of work through these. The first, we go back to verse 1. He says here he waits patiently for the Lord. And we've talked about this several times in Psalms. But when I say that David waits for the Lord, does that mean he is impatient or kind of half-heartedly hoping God will do something? Or does that mean he is expecting confidently that the Lord will show up and do something? It's that one, right? He's expecting God to show up. It's a earnest, diligently expecting God to deliver him from that situation. And so again, he's waiting patiently for the Lord. And look what the Lord does. The Lord inclines unto me and hears my cry. I love this. That word incline means to bend down near to. Kind of like you ever talked to a small child before and you have to maybe kneel down to hear what they say, to get a little closer. I do that for my girls sometimes, right? I kneel down or get closer to them or pick them up, get close to them, to hear what they have to say. That's a beautiful picture of God the Father bending down close to us to hear our cry, to hear our prayers. I love that. I love verse 1 itself. He waited for the Lord, and the Lord came and, and, and listened to his cry. Verse 2. Here's what God did. God brought him up out of a horrible pit. You've heard this before. You've heard this probably in songs, or you've maybe seen psalms written out, that God brought us out of the miry clay and set our feet upon a, a rock. And we don't know what it is again, but he is in a crisis here. This reminds me of, I've seen this somewhere like on Facebook or something, but when I was growing up, and some of y'all are my age or older, do y'all remember movies and TV shows where people get in quicksand? You remember that? I don't see it anymore. Remember this? Exactly. See, when you're my, when we grew up, there was so much quicksand on TV. You thought, and as an adult, maybe a lot of quicksand I would probably get into. I better be ready for this, but I've yet to see any quicksand in life. I've never experienced that. But, but that's what I thought about when I read that. But when you watch those old movies, they're not that old, but when you watch those movies, 
the person always sinks down to the last second, right? Their head's about to go under, and then somebody saves them, or they go under. But somebody usually saves them, pulls them out, and sets them on the side, and they're, they're safe. And so I picture that. As they're, they're gaping for breath, going in the quicksand, I picture David saying, Lord, I was in a crisis. I was going under. I felt pressed. I felt squeezed. I was hurting. And the Lord brought me out and set me on a rock. He set me on a secure foundation. Now, I thought about this on the drive down here. Last Wednesday, I mentioned to you a quote, I think it was from Spurgeon, that about God lifting him from the shifting sand and setting him on the rock. Then Sunday in the sermon, um, I mentioned the same type of thing about the foundation, the cornerstone, the rock. And now again, we see it in the scripture here again. I love how God weaves together our studies together and apparently... There's somebody in this room who needs to hear that because that's three times in a row God has shared it with us. And I'm probably that person. And if you're like me, I don't always learn things from the first time I hear it. Sometimes I need two or three or 50 times before I learn it. Maybe God is speaking to someone in our group and saying, you might feel like you're going under, but I can lift you up and set you on the rock. I can deliver you. And I hope if that's anybody, that that'll be encouraging to you. Verse 3, so God did that. God set me up. He, he pulled me out, and here's what happened next. He put a new song in my mouth. David's deliverance became worship to God. David's deliverance became worship. He put a new song, a song of praise that he would give honor and praise to the Lord. And not only that, the second part of verse 3, David's deliverance became a witness to others. He put a new song, praise to God, but then he said, many shall see it and fear and trust in God the Lord. So David says, Lord, people are going to see what you've done, how you delivered me, and they're going to give you praise because of that. Now, I've seen this in like extreme examples. Actually, it's been a couple months ago, but somebody told me, hey, I know somebody that needs to speak at your church. And I was like, yeah, you know, who is it? And they were like, well, this person, they were, and they started telling me how bad of a sinner they used to be, this person was. But now, God completely turned their life around, and they, they're an amazing speaker. And they may very well be. I don't know, I've yet to hear them, but, um, but we hear stories like that, right? Of somebody who was a terrible sinner, their life has been changed, and now they're a witness for Christ. But here's the truth, we should all be that witness for Christ, right? Even if our sin wasn't as bad necessarily as other people's in the world's eyes, we're all sinners saved by grace. And our life needs to be like David, who, who people shall, shall see it, verse 3 says, and they shall trust in him. We are to be representations of God's glory. He is the potter, and we are what? The clay. And when people see the clay, as messy as it is sometimes, they should go, you know what? God's done a work in that person's life, somehow, some way. Um, verse 4. Blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust, respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. As soon as I see that phrase in the Psalms, I think of the first Psalm, Psalm 1, which talks about blessed is the person who does not walk in the way of sinners, but who delights in the way of the Lord. And I also think about something else. What do you think about blessed is the man? So make you think about New Testament. Anybody? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the Beatitudes, right? Matthew chapter 5. When we talk about being blessed in this way, it's that person who's satisfied, they're content, 
and they're joyful with what God has done in their lives. And now, as much as ever, or now more than ever, we need to be these type of blessed people. You see, the blessed person doesn't have everything, but they're content with what they do have, with what God has given them. And so they're blessed, and they're able to be joyful even when the world is crazy like it is, like it is now. Verse 5, he says, oh, I like this. He says, many, O Lord my God, are thy wonderful works that thou have done. And so he looks around, and he thinks about all the things that God has done, and he says, there's, there's a, lot, a lot of things you've done, God. And he gives this worship and this praise. And it makes me think, you know, how often do I sit and just think about what God's done in my life? And, of course, the main thing is our salvation. But so many things God has done for us and in us and through us that if we were to truly sit and make a list, it would take a while, I hope, for, for all of us. Um, and when he does that, when he begins to think on what God has done, look at what verse 5 says. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. He says there that none can compare with God because of what God has done. I was thinking about I may have told you all a story like this before, but in high school I had this really good friend who we hung out all the time. Freshman year, I think we had seven or eight periods in school. Freshman year we had every class together, which is great because he was really smart and I would always call him for homework help. But probably late freshman year he started dating this girl and he never would answer my calls much anymore because he just kind of fell in love, right? Fell in love. So did he go hang out with the guys on the weekends? No. Did he go play ball with us on Sunday afternoons? No. He was always with the girl. Something about her, right? His love for her or whatever. He, he stopped hanging out with everyone else. And her, that was his focus. She captured his heart or something. You know, his attention, his affection. And we've all probably had something similar. If you fall in love before with your spouse, at some point, you're like, you know, that's the one for me. And in this verse, I kind of picture that. David says, God is the one for me. My deliverer, my savior, my Lord, my king. I can stop affiliating in a sense with the world, things of the world, because this one is, he's won my affection. And nothing can compare to him, and so I'm going to give him praise. And there's so much praise to give him, verse 5 says. I don't have the time and I don't have the words to give him all the praise I should. Verse 6. He says, Sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened, burnt offering and sin offering thou hast not required. My first thought there is like, wait a minute, this is still the Old Testament. Did, didn't God require sacrifice, I mean, sacrifices and offerings to the Old Testament? Yeah, right, they did that. They, they would have these drink offerings and these burnt offerings and these sin offerings. They would have to sacrifice animals. And so what does this mean? Well, I don't think he's minimizing, I don't think David's minimizing the, the truthfulness of the offerings they had to make. But I think he's em emphasizing the right heart or the right attitude. Or as we may have, you've seen in other parts of Scripture, to obey is better than to sacrifice. You've probably read that before. And as I read this, to try to apply this, I was thinking about how put yourself in the sandals of somebody in Israel in the Old Testament. And they tell you, all right, it's time to go make your sacrifice. So you've got to get up, stop your work. Stop doing the stuff you're doing at your house. Take your animal, you know, go and sacrifice it. 
Here we go again. I've got to go sacrifice my animal, forgive, get my forgiveness of sins. And I'm sure some people had that kind of attitude about it. Some people were probably different. Some people were like, this is something I need to do. God's commanded it. I want to do it. I'm excited to do it. I need to go do this to have my sin forgiven. So they would go do it. But I bet there were some, like I just said at the first example, that were like, here we go again. I've got to go make the sacrifice. So I thought about that. How many, is, how many people does that describe today? Right? I'm preaching to the choir tonight, I know, but how many people does that describe today that's like, got to get up and go to church again, got to read my Bible, got to hear the preaching, and that shows a religious aspect or a ceremonial aspect, or that shows that in that person's life, like that person I just showed you from Israel in in an example, in that person's life, Christ and salvation and the church has become like a, a ceremony. A meaningless ceremony when what we know is that Christ, the Bible, the church should be a meaningful, very meaningful, challenging experience. A life-changing experience. So I wonder if David's kind of pointing out here that, you know, God, God desires us to obey and to have a true, pure motive. And he says in the middle of that verse, if you called it, Mine ears hast thou opened. In other words, I'm not just going to do the sacrifices, but God, you've truly opened my heart and ears to hear the truth from what you would want me to do and say. God wants these types of servants, receptive servants. Verse 7 and 8, kind of look at those two together. Um, These, I think, are, these are, if I could say it briefly, they're talking about prophecy of David's reign. David's reign as king was prophesied. Um, in a greater sense, I think these verses also speak about Christ, whose, whose reign as our king was also prophesied. And, of course, verse 8 is a beautiful verse. I delight to do your will. Your law is in my heart. Um, he, he shows us here, I think, in verse 8 that if you have a true relationship with God, it's not just about praising him, but it's about obeying him. I know people, and I bet some of you might as well, who love church more than they love Jesus. I've had people say this to me before, like, man, I just wish we'd go to church and sing for 50 minutes and have 10 minutes of preaching. And I like music. Y'all know I like music. I, 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 if it were up to me, we probably would sing a few extra songs every Sunday. But sometimes I don't do what's best for me. I try to do what's best for everybody. But that's, that tells me a lot right there. If somebody makes that statement, let's sing for an hour and study the Bible for five minutes. That tells me something. They're they're looking for something a little different than what I think the Scripture is commanding us to do and, and desire. Because, and not that, y'all know I love music. It's great. I love it. love all kinds of music. All kinds of music in the church that's Christ-honoring. But show me this kind of person. Show me the person who believes Psalm 40, verse 8. And they say, I don't even care what songs we sing necessarily, but I delight to do the will of God. I want to do what God wants me to do. That's, that's the kind of Christian person that we want to be. And I want to make sure we're I just careful of that and just know that, um, as David said here, and again, I think this also applies to Christ who came to do his Father's will, but we can make it our own prayer as well. Lord, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to praise you, I'm going to thank you, and I'm going to delight to do your will. Verses 9 and 10, I'll also put those two verses together as we kind of move through here. Um, he talks about, if you look at those verses, I'll let you read them just there to yourself. Repeatedly in those two verses, 
He says, I cannot hold inside of me what God has done for me. Is that what y'all see as you read those verses to yourself? I cannot, I cannot conceal it. I cannot, I must preach it. I cannot refrain my lips. I've not hid it. Over and over again, God has done something. He's delivered me. His faithfulness has saved me. His loving kindness has saved me. And I can't keep it inside. And again, here's some great application for us when it comes to how are we at sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. And most of the Christians I know probably struggle with this truth. Um, And I was thinking about what are some, we talked about restaurants a while ago, right? If I go out of town and eat a good restaurant, I'm telling people. Y'all do that? Like, if you, if you don't know where to eat in Tupelo, I got two or three favorite spots that I can tell you, here, go try this place, right? Because I just, I eat there a good bit. And if you find a good place, you tell somebody, how about you ever going and got a sale to the mall? You find a great sale on something? You call a friend, hey, you need to go pick you up one of these? It's a great sale going on. How about a doctor? You find a good doctor you like? And you're like, I need to tell some other people about this doctor. That, he's pretty good. She's pretty good. You need to check him out. How much more should we be, as David says, someone who will not hide what God has done in his heart? How much more should we be telling people, man, God's done a work in my life, and I just need to tell somebody about it? And I think we, I think we overcomplicate that, you know? I've had times where I'm like trying to make myself witness to somebody. I'm like at a gas station, like, I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to talk about Jesus. And to me, that makes it just so weird when we're, I think we're better off just letting that be a natural part of our conversation. Like you're at the gas station pumping gas and the person gets out beside you and they're like, hey, it's a beautiful day outside. And you say, yeah, the Lord has blessed us with a beautiful day. The Lord? Yeah, the Lord, you know. And I've, I've had conversations start just like that. And the next thing you know, you can tell them, hey, you know, God loves you. Christ died for you. And you can use that as a witnessing. You can let it be natural. It doesn't have to be weird to tell people what God has done in your life. David, God had worked in such a way in his life, David couldn't help it. And I hope, I wish that would be me more often than not, that I remember what God's done in a way that I just can't help it. Verse 11 and 12, I also put those two verses together. Again, we transition here to where he's now saying, Lord, you delivered me from this first thing, but I'm back again, like we do sometimes with God. Help me in this situation too. And as he gets to verse 11 and 12, there are things outside of him. As he says in verse 12, evils have surrounded me. Those are things that we can't control. Like how many of us, even now, right, we have things in our lives, whether it's a pandemic or different decisions to make, loved ones who are hurting, job situations, so many things are outside of us that we can't control that can hurt us or hinder us. But then he also says in that same verse, verse 12, my iniquities have overtaken me. My heart fails me. I mean, this guy is, Lord, there's things around me, there's in me. How about y'all? For me, the things in me are usually worse than things around me. The sin and the life, the struggles I have inside are usually worse than things on the outside. And so David is still here struggling. In verse 13, he says, Lord, be pleased to deliver me. Again, is it okay to ask God for help? Yeah, and he does it. Finally, when he gets to verse 13, deliver me. Verse 14, 
15 and 16, he talks about um, the people that want to hurt him. Like in verse 15, they say, aha, aha, which is to say, like, we got him now. We got him right where we want him. That's what David's enemies would say. We've got him. And he says in verse 16, let all those that seek thee rejoice and be glad in thee. Let such as love thy salvation say continually, I like this, the Lord be magnified. Another way to say that is, great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. Let all those, church, this should be us, who know his salvation say, the Lord be magnified. And the final verse. But I am poor and needy. If David, who's king, if he's able to say this, then we certainly should as well. In the eyes of God, in the, in the eyes of self, I should say, apart from God, I am poor and needy. I need something. I'm lacking something. I'm without something. And that's something I need every day more than anything else is the Lord. And in verse 17, he says, I want you to look at this verse. The Lord thinketh upon me. That's pretty good. You ever just can think about it that way? The Lord thinks about us. And as his people, that's in a positive sense. <laughs> like I might think about my child when I'm away from them, right? You think about them and you, you miss them, you love them. It's a positive thinking of. And though I am poor and needy, he says, the Lord thinks about me. And he says, Lord, you're my help and you're my deliverer. Please come save me again, is basically what he says. Please come help me again. My final thoughts, as I kind of get to the end of this psalm, is even when we mess things up, even regardless of the things around the world that are trying to hinder us, when we mess things up, he can hear us and respond and deliver us. When sin abounds, what's the book of Romans say? Grace does much more abound. First John 1 says, when I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. To think about this psalm, there's a prayerful pattern, which is he praises and thanks God, then he asks for things. There's a heart of praise that God would give us that heart of praise. There is, number three, a life of proclamation. God delivered him, and he wanted to make sure everyone else knew it. And number four, there is a passionate pattern. He loved God, and God was a huge part of his, his life. And I hope all those things, the prayerful pattern, the heart of praise, the life of proclamation, and the passionate petition, I hope all four of those things will be a part of our lives as we move forward. Let's pray.